Oh, yeah. Oh, what's this? We're back. In the Crank flesh. it up. Yeah. We bought a mic. Beer. We bought a beer. Ketchup. Live. For the three of us. <laughs> and for nobody else. We bought a mic. Forgot and how long this is. But it's only 37 seconds. Hello <laughs> and welcome. We're back. We're here. We're in person. I'm not comfortable anymore seeing you guys like this. Yeah, all our titties are out. Yeah, you can see like how horny I've been <laughs> doing this alone. <laughs> and I don't know how to handle myself. This is like you've really glown up since the last time we did one of these in person. We are in a new pod studio here. We are live in person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell by the sound of of the podcast, the new room? Here, just listen to the room. Wow. Well, don't listen Damn. too hard, just in case there is some background noise. <laughs> but it's nice. It is tricked out. We there is uh, air conditioning. I'm not sweating. Uh, that's a little weird for me. Uh, but I think I'm going to get used to this place. And it's all thanks to our Anchor.fm donors. <laughs> Yes, you have made this room possible. Now I can pay my rent. I I have a room in the first place to do this. Otherwise, I'd just be out on the street. We had this. Yeah, you had this room constructed, like added onto your house. (laughs) Well, I mean, whenever we were doing these remote pods, of course, like, you know, the economy's rough out there. So I did lose my job and I had to choose between putting a down payment down a house and buying a mic. I had to buy a mic for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's all worked out because now I live in your podcast studio. Point the point the mic at yourself, Drew. See you. You know you take one month just, off, two yeah, months use off. Those condenser mics. How long? Yeah, this is the first time we've done this in person. What in three months? Three months? Yeah, because oh, it was it was June or uh, March, and now it's June. That'll be known as the the dark ages of our podcast exclusively. Yeah. <laughs> that was the main thing going on for me. Was the podcast? Was the history good. books. They'll turn to twenty twenty, and they'll be like, oh my god, there's the 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 time that we bought a mic recorded over Zoom, mm-hmm. holy shit! Yeah. We bought a mic in no other podcast. That was yeah, yeah. Experts will note a slight decrease in our rip quality mm-hmm. over that period. However, a perseverance over the long haul. Yeah, and we should say that we are contaminating the fuck out of these microphones. It's it's already getting filthy here, <coughs> which, which makes for a better listening experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Hey, I'm Ernest. I am live for an audience of two people, Hunter. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm Drew on on tape. I'll take my answer off the air. Long time, first time. <laughs> uh, speaking of anchor supporters, we want to thank Brian and Brett for donating. You guys keep the show going, and specifically Brian, who sent us an email. Uh, that we're going to be replying to at the top of the show right now. Brian Adams, our loyal um, supporter fan, mm-hmm. writes to us from uh, good old Kansas. And he says, my guys, Corona hasn't gotten to us yet. If you have time, I've got some random things I'd love an opinion on if you have one. Mm. So not demanding anything here. Just... He's just kind of, uh, you know, presenting 
here's the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I have plenty of opinions to give. I yeah. don't know if they'll relate to what he's saying at all, but I will just give an opinion. So he's got five items here. Um, so I'll just go one by one and we can fire off some quick thoughts on all these things. First one, Popstar never stops stopping. I love Popstar. I've seen it like probably That's... five or six times. Uh, heavily underrated movie. Uh, obviously, it's Lonely Island. Uh, they meant arguably the most to me of anything as a uh, middle schooler. Uh, and that movie, yeah, really accurately carries on the spirit of their uh, material. Uh, really, really, really tight quality song parody that puts humor first, not uh, ability, which good shit. And then the rest of the movie is like, you know, quality mockumentary. A lot of great improvisation done by like a re- unbelievably stacked cast, obviously. Tim Meadows. Protect Tim Meadows mm-hmm. at all costs. I'm always saying this. He is magnificent in this movie. I mean, Tim Meadows is, I mean, it's kind of similar to if you're going to like draw any parallels to it, it would be to Dewey Cox, uh, which is another movie that I absolutely fucking love that Tim Meadows is walk also hard. in. Yeah. 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 Uh, Dewey, walk hard, Dewey Cox story. Um, yeah, no, Popstar Never Stop Popping is absolutely incredible. I just saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. I was pretty late to the party because I so remember it came out and it just bombed. Like, yep. just nobody saw it. Mm-hmm. And it was always something that I thought that I would like because this kind of humor and stuff like that is often is difficult to find a mass audience. So it doesn't really make money. Look at everything that David Wayne has ever done. Um, but that is the type of humor that appeals to me. All right. Next thing. Um, we've got blast from the past starring Brendan Frazier. <laughs> is this, I've never heard of this. I just looked this up. It's a 1999 movie starring a, uh, Brendan Frazier and Alicia Silverstone and Christopher Walken. Um, I, I don't know what this is. We're going to have to make up opinions. The man is asking so because he I, trusts us. I have an opinion on this movie is uh, that I, I think Brendan Fazier is very good. He's a he's a cute little boy. I he love, is a blast from the past. Like He is the human literally. embodiment. I see that it is on HBO Max right now. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. Well, Brian, I have a lot of takes here about this movie, actually. Um, I wasn't crazy about the release date of February 12th, <laughs> 1999. Um However, the uh, budget did really get me going to see 35 million USD. Um, the initial DVD release date grew on me. Second viewing, I was like, oh, July 27th. Yeah, I get that. That's the right time of for the same year. Really, really don't let it sit in theaters. Hey, uh, Hugh Wilson, uh, also the director of Blast from the Past, also made Police Academy. You guys like Police Academy? Haven't seen. 1984 classic. I don't like sound effects, so. Um, <laughs> all right, next thing. Watermelon Sugar by harry styles a good pop song watermelon sugar i i like that pop song i defended uh fine line on this podcast last year i said that is a good good album album. i said uh you guys laughed in my face you you kicked my you kicked my little booty he's retconning from here to kansas city strangely enough um (laughs) which is not in kansas which is it's well (laughs) it's like on the border part of it is in kansas part of it is in missouri um Anyways, um, yes, no, I think Watermelon Sugar is one of the best pop songs of last year. I think The Fine Line is a very good album. Is that it blends... this year or last year? Last year. Last really? year. Wow. Yeah, it came out like Time The music December. video is steamy. 
Mm-hmm. Hot. It got me hot and heavy. Yeah. Oh. A lot of Zoomer sexual energy. And I think there. it is very encouraging to know that I have just as good of a shot with Harry Styles as my girlfriend does. Mm. All right. I think that maybe that like just because he is bisexual doesn't mean that that's true. I well, you know, maybe he <laughs> likes small little hairy men. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, Louis isn't like super far off from you, and we all know the the Larry Stylinson oh. theory of their relationship. Anyway, yeah, it's a good pop song. Logan Lucky, Steven Soderbergh. Oh, I was the biggest fan of any of us about yeah. That, we regarding reviewed that, that one very early days. I I wholeheartedly pod. enjoyed that movie. Actually, I thought Channing Tatum was incredible in it. I thought it was arguably, I mean, it was the best I've ever seen from him. I haven't seen like Magic Mike. I mm-hmm. guess it was right at the peak of that song. Uh, Take me home. Was the peak of that song? Yeah, when she sings the little girl. Oh, you! I thought you meant like the the cultural moment of that (laughs) song was like. It wasn't like well, back when John Denver wrote it, the movie uh, cashed in on that song having its peak (laughs) during when that movie came out. I um, It, it wasn't like. You know, oh, what? They're late to this. It was like the movie came out right around when it's that sort song of, was. It's sort of an eternal song that if you're at a, any, you know, any like uh, bar with a jukebox and it comes on, there will be a lot of people singing I can it. say for a fact it has played at both weddings and funerals I've been to. So that's my, it's not even an opinion. That's just a fact going about it. Funerals, wow. Yeah, it's played I, I at a funeral thought, that I, just I thought to of the, before. Just thought it played of the, on a loop at a funeral that I went to before. I just thought of the, I think you should leave bit, the Friday <laughs> day, night. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, I really, really did like that movie. Um, I thought it was uh, textured, interesting, fun to watch, like good pacing. Did to me. we talk about that on the podcast? Yeah, so we did. Was, we yeah, did okay. Review. That's what that's what I thought. I I like it. Um, I'd rather if I'm gonna watch a movie of that style, I'd rather just watch one of the Ocean's movies personally. But I still like it. Yeah, most people uh, feel that way. I actually I think I liked it more than I liked the Ocean's movies. Whoa, those movies are like really like they're cool and they like defined the genre way more obviously. But like, there's also just kind of like you know it's just like cool. You're watching it, and you're like cool. Look look cool. who's on that wall right right I know. there. That's Daddy George and Daddy Brad. So I saw that. Looking steamy. I, I see those guys in their shades, and I'm thinking, cool. And, <laughs> and then the movie ends, like, you're like, cool. Can I have Daniel Craig doing a southern accent up on this That's wall? That's what that I you fucking want, brother. Okay. Last thing he has on this list. Jared Leto's Steve Prefontaine compared to Billy Crudup's Steve Prefontaine. I didn't know any of the words that you just said. So Steve Profontaine was a long distance runner. Um and in the nineteen seventy two Olympics, mm-hmm. nineteen seventy-six set records. And apparently, um Jerry Leto played him? Is that what's going on? Leto versus Crudup is a matchup for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you I gotta go Crudup because not only was Crudup uh Dr. Manhattan Manhattan, mm-hmm. but he's also the sad boy in Big Fish that learns mm-hmm. to love his father. Uh, we got stuff like American Covenant in his uh, filmography. Um, Who? Crudup? Crudup. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep, he was in that. One uh, thing Spotlight? I, one thing I know about him is he's definitely not Matt Dillon, and like no one should think that, um, in case you are thinking about Googling <laughs> his face and still having trouble. I feel like if you put his face in Google image, it would just show you stuff from Matt so, Dillon. So there um, was a movie in 1997 called Prefontaine. Um, 
why did this guy get two movies? Not to be ignorant about uh, track and field history, but oh my god! Okay, look up J- Jared Leto. Oh as, my god, I see it now. as Profontaine. Man, that is that is a stash that he is rocking. My in these. god. Um. So here's is this the thing. Apex Mountain for Jared Leto? A ninety-seven. Just... <laughs> that's pre. I didn't even know that he was right. like acting in yes. ninety-seven. To be 30, perfectly honest, Thirty Seconds to Mars didn't come out with that their was first album. Mid, early mid two thousands. Like, uh, he looks like Walton Goggins. Looks <laughs> so fucking stupid. He looks like Billy a... Crudup wins. That's the end of it. I haven't. I don't even know what Billy Crudup looks as Prefontaine. What his? Let me. Let I guess, me is there this. a new movie? Hold on. I'm, uh, I think, we are doing some research live. This is what podcasting is all about. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's more fun to. Yeah, there was a movie 1998 without limits. Wow. Wait, so there was two within a year of back each other? Back to back. What? This Holy is, Brian, shit. This, this is fascinating, can you Brian. Please Thank tell you very us, much. More so than answering this question, can you tell us why this guy was so important that he got two movies in a year of him? Was this like the fire festival before it's time? He did die at 24, so you would imagine two... you would imagine that it wasn't natural causes and maybe it was something interesting. We might we might have to have Brian hey. on the show to take a deep dive. Well, investigative. You know what? I have dive. not I have not seen either of these movies, but I'm giving the edge to Without Limits because my guy Donald Sutherland is in that. Mm. And I would watch Donald Sutherland watch Paint Dry. Uh, him and his son, Kiefer, can just kind of do whatever they want, and I'm in. So the, at the end of uh, Brian's email, he just has a couple of reactions to some things that we've talked about. He says, Avatar The Last Airbender and Korra uh, are such good television. I love you guys' conversations about everything going on in the world right now. Three of the best potters in the biz. Wow. Damn, look at that. And we happen to just be all together. Oh, what my a dream God. pod this is. Yeah. Wow. It's like Led Zeppelin. How it was just like a super group, but it was just naturally <laughs> yeah. formed. Yeah. That's so you you heard it here first. If you're listening to this show right now, mm. you've struck fucking gold. Are we sure not that we're not closer to the Greta Van Vliet of podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he says, P.S. Why is Hunter a Boston era sports fan? Hey, uh, <laughs> guess what, Brian? I've been asking that since uh, the last 10 years or so, and I haven't gotten a correct answer so yet. So here is the real no. answer. I'm going to give you guys. The truth is that I was like six or seven years old, and I was just being yeah. able to like comprehend like what football was. Yeah, and he's going like, goo goo gaga, uh, blue lives matter. And go, I, go Sox. Hey, I, I, all cops are bastards. I didn't reach the quota on the last part. You're not, so I you're not tricking me. Um, no, so I was a very small boy. Um, I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, which did not have a professional sports team. My family only cares about college sports. Um, and I remember watching the Super Bowl. It was one of the first things I ever watched. And I watched Tom Brady beat the St. Louis uh, Rams, Rams at the time. With his RIP. fist. I'm very sorry. Uh, you might have been a Rams fan at the time, given the location, proximity. Shit, I liked him a lot. Um I saw him beat him, and I told my mom, who is that guy? He's the greatest. That's I literally <laughs> said that's, that's that so he's the greatest, true. and I became a fan, and my mom bought me a jersey, and I still have I, that jersey. I just puked a little bit. From whenever I, I was a little, little tyke. Yeah, see, Brian, you didn't want this answer. <laughs> and then I just I kind of started getting into basketball, and I was always a big fan of Paul Pierce and stuff like that. And I it was also just – I became just a Celtics fan. I always liked Danny Ainge as a GM. I like his moves, very savvy. I was like the little eight-year-old playing like Moneyball and uh, yeah, 2K right. and stuff. 
So the last thing he says like, is... Hey, Kendrick Perkins is a free agent. I could get him on a minimum deal. Do mm-hmm. we see the Celts making a, con- uh, making a run if NBA starts back up? No. So let me answer this. Um, the answer is probably not if they make um, the finals they're losing them especially not because uh jalen brown uh one of the celtics best players is already like very very hesitant to come back this year because he wants to keep protesting and stuff and he's kind of against starting to play stuff because he doesn't want to take the conversation away from the protests mm-hmm. everything movements so yeah it's almost like boston athletes are good and are making a difference in the world drew um <laughs> That being said, Jason Tatum is my guy. They could make a run. I could see if an outside shot, I would see Philly making a run outside of uh, Boston, uh, personally. Wow. But also, as a Boston sports fan, I've learned to just expect the worst and everything. I mean, I, they have a decent shot at making the finals, but I just don't see them winning it. But crazier things have happened, Bri. Thank and if you. they do win, then I will count this as a legitimate title. If anybody else wins, I will dismiss it as. Aren't they? Aren't title. they trying to do it here yeah, in Orlando? They, they're happening. It's happening at the end of July at Disney World, yep. the Wide World of Sports. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy, man. I might break in. <laughs> hop the fence. I might just hop the fence. I'll just like they, bring a lanyard with me and just pretend like I'm official. Dude, it's Disney. They don't have a fence. They have like a fucking electromagnetic glow. Yeah, you will be like evaporated <laughs> if you try to sneak in there. Yeah, it's fine. If I can like touch Jason Tatum, that's all I need. Well, thank you, Brian, for your wonderful email. You can always contact us at webottomike at gmail.com with anything. Brian just sometimes sends us just good little notes like this to let us know that that he's enjoying the show you know you can you can tell us whatever you want if you just want to say like hey you know you guys brought me out of a horrible depression with your podcast and it's the only thing i'm clinging on to in this chaotic desperate world just please just let us know. You know, we're here for you. And that is this we hear suggestion for you. of what to send. <laughs> like, it seems like you want that exact letter. Um, anyway, what, what else do we have on the docket? We got, cut, we got ketchup out the ass oh. tonight. Um, so let's try to blast through it um, so that we can end this pod on a timely manner. Um, first up, uh, real quick, Artemis Fowl is a movie that I have seen. Wait, what? Wait, you finished it? Yes. Ernest. So I met I messaged you guys saying Man, that I had to pod. tap I had to tap out after 10 minutes because it is like god awful. And the other day I was just sitting here in this room on my computer and I was just, you know, fucking around on on the PlayStation and I was like, "All right, I'm just going to put it on in the background." Um just just to see how much worse it gets. Luckily, it's only 90 minutes long, so it wasn't, you know, eating away at my entire life. But I just need to say, it is literally not only the worst movie I've seen this year. Wow. It is one of the worst movies I've seen in the past couple years. Oh, so you didn't see Doolittle in theaters, did you? No, hell no. Okay. No, the only reason why I I felt, like, slightly obligated to see this is because I read the books when I was a kid. And I, I have, like, the tiniest little bit of nostalgia for Artemis Fowl. But it is just the worst fucking movie. Well, you know is, it, is it bad if you, like, consider that, like, you are 100% not the target audience, like, if it's for kids? Well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I, I was like, okay, this could just be, like, if you're fucking seven years old 
it could be enjoyable, right? But there's plenty of movies that a seven-year-old can watch that are still good movies, mm. right? You know, just because it has pretty colors and fairies doesn't make it excusable. Like, whoever let this script get made needs to be fired. Well, you know who's bad is Kenneth Branagh. Well, that's what I was about to say, <laughs> is that I feel like we, as a society, give Kenneth Branagh too much respect because, yes, he's a great British actor and whatever. Let's go through some of his director credits just in the last 10 years. Thor. We have Thor. We have Jack Ryan 2, Shadow Recruit. Oh, we boy, have the yeah. 2015 Cinderella. Mm. We have the Murder on the Orient Express movie that came out three years ago. Big and failure. Nothing, Big nothing failure. saw it. Yeah. He's now making Death on the Nile, uh, another uh, remake of a classic film. Agatha um, Christie. A classic Agatha Christie book. Hey, and it's starring Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Um, With a big mustache. <laughs> Look up his mustache in that movie. Oh, no, I'm looking at it. <laughs> yeah, so It's um, better than Jared Leto's. Don't think we should have very high hopes for that film. Um, dear God. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the working theory with him and with really any director who consistently gets work despite uh not making good movies is that they are really good at making the movies that the studio tells them to make they're good at like taking notes yes. and like genuinely putting all the notes in the movie yeah which is how bad movies are made Well, that's that's the thing with this movie is like it feels like nobody intended to make a good artistic work yeah it's an it's a notes film yeah it's like a right. corporate sludge thing that's just it's filler nobody no nothing maybe if i had to give it something i'd say like the vfx artist tried to like actually do something good <laughs> one guy there's giving, some good there's to. some good looking stuff in here but the 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 script the foundational blueprint of what makes a movie work was atrocious on every level i never cared about any of the characters i never understood what was happening in the story at all this was way too late for an artemis fowl movie to come out obviously yeah like, well also. so these, my... these books were huge 10 15 years mm -hmm. ago so what i was going to ask was do we think that uh the whole we had to put it straight to disney plus because of rona is just a cover-up because they started screen testing it to people and showing it to the higher ups, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is horrible!" And they were like, "If we put this out in theaters, it's gonna we will, flop. We will make like absolutely yeah. no money." And Disney has had a run of big budget movies falling flat on their face. Yeah, so I think that this honestly might have remember the corona the, thing might have just been a cover-up for them and they might have already been mulling the idea of putting it saved it saved their asses this was a 125 million dollar movie and yeah, it is there's no way it would have is made, god awful there's no way it would have even because it has been universally panned by everyone yeah i mean at least cats was like fun you know like we went to the theater we got mm -hmm. uh uh <laughs> wasted i was gonna say i was like are you searching for a word for getting fucked up um uh what's uh god i forgot the the, the... soylent yes that's what soil. it was yes that's the bit. you've forgotten our bits you're so rusty <laughs> our trusty old um classics at least that movie had this movie also has judy dench in it oh. but at least that movie judy dench is a cat in this movie, she's supposed to be an elf. At least in that movie, she's a cat. <laughs> yeah. 
and she's staring into your eyes. Wait, wait, wait. So is Cat higher on like the pyramid of things? Is like being at the top just be playing a human, and then somehow Cat is above Elf and this like that's true. That have you, you ever have? seen Bright? I'm pretty sure it's yeah. in there somewhere. Oh, God, Bright is like down at the bottom. Dude, if you pay a troll, fucking reminded my, me of Bright. One of my favorite tweets I've seen in a while was David Ehrlich, who's a great critic. His oh. tweet about the, I can't get over the fact that Disney donated five million to Black Lives Matter related causes, but spent 125 million on Artemis Fowl, a movie in which Josh Gad plays a kleptomaniac dwarf named Mulch Dagoms <laughs> who chews through the earth with his mouth and farts dirt out of his butt. <laughs> okay, last thing Thanks, before Bob we Iger. move on. Josh Gad makes this movie worse on every level. If he wasn't in this movie, it it wouldn't be as bad. Who do you want? Paul Walter Hauser? Yes. <laughs> Literally any anybody else. He is so unbearable. Like every time he says anything or anytime I see his fucking face, I was like, kill me. Josh Gad to me is studio notes personified. Yeah. He is just notes. He's yeah. just somebody who says, let's lighten this up. He goes, no, he literally, in this fucking movie, he literally stares into the camera and explains the plot to you. Wow. In, in excruciatingly boring detail with this awful Irish accent that is from nowhere <laughs> that is real. Just a complete and utter failure. So hard recommend. What, Don't see it. What's next? <laughs> uh, Rick and Morty has wrapped up its fourth season on Adult Swim. And it's not the hot topic of conversation anymore because mm -hmm. it's been on and everybody knows that it's good. And the people who are usually vocal about it are the shitheads. Done, that, yeah, that done annoying. to death in the fan base, etc. One of the best seasons <laughs> of this show <laughs> was this new season. It had some of the best episodes of the whole show. It was able to become self-reflexive um, and comment on the sort of patterns that the show sometimes finds itself in and the dynamics mm -hmm. that they do. And in a really smart way, uh, it advances the, the characters of Summer in really interesting ways. And, and Beth, um, the whole beth and rick dynamic that was set up in season three really really pays off here um and i just think that they're they're killing it like it's it's the opposite of a slump it's a we still got this and we can still it's churn yeah. these out with excellent quality it still is uh despite like maybe culture as a whole ha has not like passed by rick and morty rick and morty st is still very relevant but less than it was but they are still able to amass one of the most impressive writers rooms in all of television yeah. just in terms of pure talent and like credits to these people's names they're getting people that are like the highest caliber writers because like the other like high tier animated shows these writers are capable of doing anything they want on the show. Like their right. imagination is like the only limit essentially. And huge, huge credit to the animation team too. Cause you can tell that this is probably like the most money adult swim is putting into any project. The, the quality of the animation is incredible. Just so detailed, so much going on. There's some episodes that have so much activity in the background and so many different characters. And there's a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. And it's they've just really, really stepped it up. Um, so if you've fallen off of Rick and Morty, 
it's it's the fourth season it's 10 episodes jump back on it is just as good as it ever was that's a good record because yeah. i think a lot of people like us who kind of like try to be on like the bleeding edge have sort of passed that show by when it truly has always been a good show well and also the conversation around it has stained it yeah oh absolutely oh i mean yes it had like a very it was really fun at first if you like got in in season one of rick and Morty, it was just this weird show on adult swim that was incredible it was really fun and then just it was like it was no longer cool to like rick mm -hmm. and morty because just it was like uh, uh, dicks and yeah. and yeah like uh, bleh. um and it just got to be too much i had hopes because they took an extra year to make this season and i think that during that time they probably reflected Dan Harmon uh, is a very aware guy of conversations yes. around his projects. And he's also more involved than I think he was in the last couple seasons. I hear oh, him he? doing so many side voices well, and good. little songs and things. I, I need to get, cause I watched the first two episodes whenever they came out the end of last year and they were really good. And then I just kind of fell off of it. But now that it is all out, all the episodes, Need to watch it. Um, is it on the Adult Swim app? Is that how yeah. you watched it? Or okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish Adult Swim just made their stuff easier to watch. I know, I know. Hopefully, with this HBO Max thing, they can like just go ahead and fold as much of that in yeah. as possible. Adult Swim's app is also doing better than a lot of like individual network apps. Like, it's not the worst to navigate, but I would like to have it on yeah. one of the things I always use. Yeah. So, so check it out. It's Rick and Morty. Um. I'm going to I'm going to double up these next two things before we move on to um, the next thing. Watch two classic movies, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Uh, Willy Wonka was on Netflix and Bedknobs and Broomsticks was on Disney Plus. And they're both. Um, well, Willy Wonka is from the 70s and Bedknobs and Broomsticks is from the 60s, but they're both, you know, children's movies that have a very like kind of darkness to them like this this occult nature to what's to the the premise obviously Willy Wonka is much more well known um but I had never seen it before it's my first time seeing it and it's one of Lee's like favorite movies of all time so she'd been waiting for a while to show it to me and it's an interesting movie because like um, Gene Wilder doesn't show up until like the halfway mark. Yeah. And it's a short movie. It's only like a 90 minute movie. So for like half the movie, mm -hmm. you are not seeing the best part of the movie. But once he comes in, it's like yeah. fucking clear the yeah. fucking table. Yeah. First of all, he's one of the more magnetic actors ever. And then second of all, when you get when he comes in is when the fucking factory mm -hmm. comes in. Uh, so it's yeah but I, it's crazy that the movie takes so much time yeah to like before... show you like the slums and everything else that they grow up in yeah willy wonk and the chocolate growing up that was like my one of my favorite movies yeah. i've seen that movie like dozens of times growing up because yeah. it is like the ultimate children's wish fulfillment movie and i actually weirdly just rewatched that like within the last year as well and it holds up <laughs> so well it really it's just, does it's just such a fun movie it is paced so so well it's and quick. there's themes that you pick up on like as an adult with like kind of the classism and kind of the capitalistic society that they're in that just 
fly right over your head as a kid. Yeah, I'm, yes. I'm That's imagining part of it. I'm imagining little Hunter. Like he's just a tiny little boy, and he's he's watching this movie I'm while wearing my Tom Brady while hat. Right behind him, like all his grandparents are in a big bed together, <laughs> and he's like, "Man, if only I could get out of this place." <laughs> And then I've got the golden po- tick. Yeah, and then he starts. Like, can, can you buy me a chocolate bar? And I like get beat with a cane. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, it only go had socks. It only had a three million dollar <laughs> budget. Um. So that I mean, you know, for the sixties, that's sizable. But you can tell that they were doing a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're in the factory, you know they they really stretched every dollar yeah. to make as much of it possible as possible and the the fucking the tunnel sequence so when i was a kid holy yeah shit. when i was a kid my mom would skip that on the vhs yeah. she would skip that scene because she didn't want us Where to get going? scared it's freaky it's man. so trippy like it's Dude, very out there it's intentionally disturbing yeah, yeah they like, like flash like a chicken getting killed or something mm-hmm. it's like this disturbing imagery i love that i love i i you know, you look at something like fucking Artemis Fowl, and it's gotten so just homogenized and sanitized that a movie like this, it it took these big swings when it didn't even have to. Yeah. Um, sadly, it was a little bit of a box office failure, so it, it does qualify as mm. like kind of like a cult classic. So our stinker of the week goes yeah. to yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then Bedknobs and Broomsticks is another like sort of weird movie for kids that also gets kind of weird and trippy and psychedelic. That is a strange movie. I used to watch that one a lot as well. Yeah, when they travel, it's this magical bed where they can like teleport. And when they're these sequences when they're traveling on the bed, it's literally like the fucking Stargate sequence in 2001. <laughs> Except it's for kids. Um and yeah, I I just I thought it was a, a very interesting uh, kind of comparison to the type of movies that we see today. There's a there's a sequence that where they go underwater and they're talking to like animated characters. Hell yeah! Um, so if you're ever like looking for a strange movie on Disney Plus from their expansive catalog of weird random old movies, check out Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Um, so that's all I got. Hunter, why don't you take it away? Um, so we can go pretty quick on this because I know only two of us have seen it, but that is uh, Dave Chappelle's uh, special. I wouldn't call it a comedy routine because I don't think that I laughed at any point during it. Um, I saw, um, shout out to David Chen of uh, Slash Film Podcast. I saw in Lairbox that he called it more of a sermon than a yeah, comedy special, exactly. which is actually really accurate. Um, of course, eight minutes and 46 seconds is the time that Derek Chauvin kneeled on um, George Floyd's neck. And that's kind of why Chappelle wanted to do this thing. Um, he hasn't been touring, of course, given everything with the corona and everything. But he just wanted to speak to this crowd uh, in the town where he lives in, like, Ohio, I believe. Um, I think it's... I think it's like Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay. It's somewhere like very rural. Like he doesn't live in a major city and it was extremely powerful. Um, It's only like 27, 28 minutes long. Which I love. I love that. It's not even, it's a Netflix production, but it's not on Netflix. It's on Netflix's YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, So it is just on YouTube right now for you to watch it. You don't even need a Netflix subscription. I think that's one of the reasons why is that Netflix 
One, because it's very short, and two, they wind it to reach as many people as possible. Um, and I, it's been talked about on the internet. I think that came out what, a few days ago, like Friday or something. Yes. Um, and yeah, it was just, it really floored me. I have not been the biggest fan of some of Chappelle's newer specials that he's done in recent years. They're like kind of hit or miss with me. There's some stuff where it is like really classic, get that old Chappelle vibe and stuff, stuff that kind of feels like he's a little bit too old and rich and kind of detached mm -hmm. from the humor that he had before. But I think that this works so well because he doesn't make light of these things. Right. He's not really doing comedy. He has he's like, naming... a, like a freak out moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he says something that is very like compelling in there that I've been thinking about that is just like, he gives a story about a police officer, uh, like a, about how nine police officers were murdered in one night and how like hundreds of police officers showed up at this dude's house and like killed this dude who was killing them. And he's saying, that's why you're wondering why we are marching in the streets together is because it's the same th thing as whenever one of your own gets killed. When one of our own gets killed in the streets, mm -hmm. we rise up because we know that could be us. Exactly. And I, I found it very, very powerful. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. Brutally honest, piercing. Like, he he managed to do what so many celebrities are gloriously failing at doing right <laughs> now, which is they, they know that they have a platform and they have to acknowledge the voice, the power of their voice, but they also have to experience this moment as a person, as a human being. And, you know, it's different because Dave Chappelle is black. So he's experiencing this as a, as a black man separate from being a celebrity but just on the on the level as a you know when you look at it as just like a comedian just a, a guy who already just stands up and talks for a living um to make this a way of putting out the statement that everybody is putting out mm -hmm. and not making it about yourself yeah and I that's mean, he, he i love the way that he brought that up where he says something which he said before i think uh like few years back about like nobody gives a shit what Ja Rule has to say on this right. like because he's saying and people were like coming at him for not making a statement and his whole thing is I don't need to make a statement like I'm a celebrity does anybody give a shit what I think if I am I going to say something is that going to make you change your opinion no you need to hear from the people that are affected yeah. from this directly but I'm so glad that he said something yeah. because no, I am too it's, it's 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 hard because it's like how do you, especially when you have this spotlight on you, how do you say something without it being about yourself? You know, right. that's the that's the tricky yeah. thing. That because people do listen to what celebrities say to them. Exactly. They like they actually care and like their worldviews are shaped by that. And uh, a lot of the time it's for the worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the, that's what's so genius about this. It's like it's quick. It's less than half an hour. Um, it's not like a new Dave Chappelle special, really. It's really just like, instead of him making an Instagram post, he brought people to his mm. property and did what he does best, which is talk and express his thoughts, you know? And he, you know, when this finished playing on YouTube, um, it automatically started up another Chappelle video. And it was this 
stand-up set that he did in England in the 90s. Um, or maybe, no, no, no. It was the early 2000s. It was like 06 or something. And you can tell that he's always been this type of guy who doesn't have like prepared bits. Like he's kind of the opposite of John Mulaney. Mm-hmm. He just likes to vibe off the crowd and shoot the shit. Yeah. And you could call that quote unquote bombing, but with Chappelle, it's different. You know, he's able to kind of feel out the the vibe of the room in a really interesting way. Yeah. He, and that's the reason that Chappelle's show was like still holds up as probably the best sketch show to ever exist is because it was the combination of Dave feeling out America's vibe at that time. And then um, Neil Brennan bringing in the like right. the discipline of like writing sketch. Yeah, and the result. I I've just been rewatching some. Chappelle yeah, show no, recently. we were it's, watching it's been some on the brain. sketches. Uh, it's, it's so like goddamn good. Is it on Hulu? Uh, well, a lot of them are just like on YouTube. Oh, good. Like, some of the, like we were just watching like the racial draft, and uh, I was watching the the Prince basketball one, which is a classic, famous one. Uh, the the blind racist black man. Oh my is, god! Like there's classic. just so many ones that you yeah. can just pick from. They're just iconic. That immediately your mind goes back to the first time that you saw these sketches. Yeah, it is it is on Hoopla if you have a library oh, okay. card. It is oh. all on Hoopla. Also, the Comedy Central website that's not good yeah speaking of websites and apps that are horrendous that, i mean that's about the worst one <laughs> have. fucking comedy central unbearable website so check out uh dave Chappelle's new stand-up set it's on youtube it's pretty easily accessible um i saw a lot of traffic and talk about it it, it, it seemed like a lot of people were were watching it so um he i think he 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 did a good job yeah he did a good job yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm back in um, if I ever actually left, I don't know if I did. Um, guys, I have big news for you. Uh oh, the coronavirus is over. Oh, good. We're out of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know this because movie theaters are starting to open back up. Um, not your big chains, not your AMC's, your Regals, and stuff like that. But guys, this weekend I went to a movie theater. Um, it was a local art house theater here in town, the NZN. They actually, it makes sense why they were able to open up because their seating is closer to a restaurant than it is to a movie theater mm-hmm. with their table set up. There's already separation. They took out tables and stuff like that to create even more space in between tables. Um, and they're, of course, limiting. They're only going, even with taking out the seats, they're still only doing 50% of their new That's capacity. That's a huge thing. The fact that they can move Mm-hmm. chairs around you can't do that at like a regal or something when like it's, it's locked into a yeah. spot yeah um so i uh i reopened on friday uh i probably uh wasn't the smartest idea but i did go day one um luckily everybody there was being very respectful i think because of the crowd that usually goes to uh, art house theater usually leans uh left and therefore more cautious of these things. So people are all wearing masks going in and out of the theater. That's great. Um, Whenever I sat down at the table, there's actually like a sheet that you can just kind of check what you want and hand it to them if you don't want to like talk and like kind of project spit at each other. Uh, (laughs) So that was great. Um, My first movie that I saw, the first 2020 film that I've seen in a theater in months was a little film uh, called The Trip to Greece. Um, 
You guys aren't. F- are you guys familiar at all with the Trip Extended Universe? I've mm-hmm. never seen them, but I have heard good things. Um. So I will say, I was not familiar with this stuff. M- me and my girlfriend just watched the trailer, and we're just like, you know what? We've been in the house a lot lately. Let's just take like a nice little escape to Greece in the form of cinema, and. Uh, <laughs> Very uh, disorienting, the style of this film. Um, So pretty much, it's just Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, two very, very funny British dudes. Uh, How the show started was they would go up to northern England and review restaurants and stuff like that. And then they would, like, quote-unquote review restaurants, but also just kind of riff with each other. And I didn't know that there was also an element of like a dramatic element to this film because about 90 percent of the story is almost documentary style but even less of a documentary it's mostly just like steve coogan and rob bryden got one over with a studio and just got a paid trip to go to greece and to go they've been to spain and to italy before just to go all these places the adam sandler method yes Yes, except they just, they aren't even trying to play a character. They're like, we're just going, they are themselves. So the Adam Sandler method. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then there's like these weird elements where they'll be like sitting there like doing bits and everything else. And suddenly like one of them will get a call and just be like, it's your grandpa. He's back in the hospital. (laughs) And it gets very serious. It was so dis, like, I don't think that I've seen that kind of style of filmmaking where it's so, so real. And then there's just like a thread of fiction dramatization that's in there. Yeah. To just hold the movie together. Yeah. To try and give it some kind of a structure. This, like if I was going to give a narrative thread to this movie, they are, they're following, they start in uh, Istanbul, Istanbul, and they walk the trail of, or they don't walk. They travel the trail of Odysseus is kind of the premise of what they're doing. Um, as like a movie, I don't think it's great. Um, I think the direction could have been better at showcasing uh, how fucking beautiful and majestic Greece is. There's certain segments of it where you can see like, oh my God, this is like one of the most, the Mediterranean is like one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, but I could have gone a little bit further. I don't think the dramatic elements really worked. But where this movie really fr- thrives is with Coogan and Bryden just doing bits with each other. They'll just be sitting down at a table and just without cutting, they'll just have the two of them just kind of joking with each other. There was extended jokes with uh, Rob Bryden just clowning Steve Coogan for being in Percy Jackson's uh, movie, whatever the hell that was, like P- 10 years ago. The Percy Jackson P- no, what? Did you say peeing? He peed? No, no, Steve, like... He said being. Oh, being. Sounds like saying peeing. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what word you're trying to say that I said. It's Sorry, it's like, yeah, for peeing in Zoom Percy delay. Jackson. It's no, this no. bad audio on the Steve Coogan track. was... We gotta go back to doing these remotely. Um, Steve Coogan was in a Percy Jackson movie, and Rob Bryan I had an image clowing. of Steve Coogan taking a piss on some, like, ancient Greek yeah. monument. You know what? I He might have preferred to do that than being in this Percy Jackson movie. Uh, he doesn't sound like he's very proud of it. Um, their impression work that they do with each other is some of, like, the funniest shit that I've ever heard. There's one point where Steve Coogan does Ray Winstone doing Henry VIII, and it's like... 
so layered and complex humor that's incredible. They do a whole bit where they're both doing Dustin Hoffman and uh, including playing Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy. And they're like, <laughs> <"Rats a wheel." laughs> and like do the best Dustin Hoffman impression I've ever heard in my life. Um, so if you like British style of humor like that and something that is very, um, uh, not not your ordinary kind of comedy. Um, I I'd say that this is worth a shot. I wouldn't say I wouldn't necessarily recommend to like chase out in theaters. I am interested enough to go back and watch some of the other the trip stuff just to see these two dudes cook together. And the the sights. Yeah, I it's mean the a, sights are great. Italy and some Spain. of the food looks incredible. Um, yeah, this one was just in Greece. They also do the original one was all in England stuff, and then I know they did one in Spain and one in. Italy. There's also yeah. a show. That yeah, no, that's done. what I was saying. That's yeah. how they got started. With, uh, yeah, like um, many many episodes. I mean, I'm, I'm they've won a couple Baftas. I'm a big fan of both of these guys. Uh, Coogan has made more of an attempt to move into American comedy. I think he popped up in like the other guys or something in yeah. a side character role. Um, and then like you said, he like, was fucking he Percy was nominated. Jackson. Coogan was nominated for a couple Oscars for uh, Philomena. Yeah, that that was his biggest one. And then he was in Philomena. like Philomena, Philomena, starring Philomena, James Duty Dench. Is she play a cat or is she play a, a troll in that one? I hope it's a cat. Please. There's um. So, so anyway, um, he yeah, he's a British legend. And then Rob Brydon hasn't even really made much of an attempt to move American because he's thriving over there. He's he does theater stuff, but he is the longtime host of What I Lied to You, which is the uh, British variety show you can find on YouTube that I highly recommended like a long time ago. And he's very funny on there. He does great fucking impressions. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, his um, I mean, there is like certain points with Rob Brydon, some of his impressions where he like almost takes Coogan's lunch like his Dustin Hoffman I don't even know how he did he did like Dustin Hoffman in Marathon Man as like a tooth that needs to get pulled from the back of his mouth like all their bits are just so layered like that mm. so it's it requires I, I wouldn't even say it requires knowledge because even if you don't know exactly what they're referencing it's still very funny to watch their chemistry going back and forth with each other mm -hmm. just great banter um cool. so there was that uh, the other film that I saw in theaters was a bit of a throwback. Um, also at the Enzian. Also at the Enzian Theater here in Orlando. Open now. Support Not local at cinema. Aloma Cinema Grill down the street. No, I don't know if I'd go to that place you see even what if they're there showing? wasn't a pandemic. Do you see are they the, showing right now? They're showing Trolls. Okay, they're I'm back in. I'm back in now. <laughs> they're showing the sad Affleck movie, The Way Back. And there's a third one. Oh, Doolittle for some reason. Yeah, baby. <laughs> they can't it's still going. Still Man, who knew that Doolittle would have a six month theater run? I think it couldn't find anyone that wanted to stream it. So they just kept it in theaters. <laughs> They're like, please just take this. Um Yeah, I you know, I gotta go support Best Picture Winner Trolls, future Best Picture Winner Trolls. We didn't even talk about the Oscars getting delayed, but I think that we knew that it's was going to happen anyways. It'll probably happen. It's fine. Anyways, a movie that did not win any Oscars. I believe that was nominated for Best Picture. Maybe not. I'm not going to look it up right now. That's I got you. not good podcasting. I got you. Um, that is the 1957 Sydney Lament classic, 12 Angry Men. 
Um, did you guys it ever... It was nominated for three. Okay. Uh, I knew that didn't win anything. Did you guys ever watch this movie or read it in, like, English class or anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen... I haven't seen it in forever, but I, I remember seeing it um, in, in high school. I yeah. think they showed it, like, in class. Yeah, that's what... I, I remember we did a reading of it in, like, an English class or something. It was either English or, like, some kind of drama or something that I did. Probably, like, AP Lit or one of those. Yeah, uh, but we did a reading of it, and then we watched the movie. And I just, like, remember it being, like, enjoyable, but I didn't really care because it was just a movie that you saw in school. So I hadn't seen it since then in, like, 10-plus years. And guys, I mean, it's a perfect movie. It really is like one. There's a reason why they teach it in like script writing classes on how to write a script when you don't really when you establishing characters through dialogue and not through any kind of setup. Because the whole thing, these characters don't have name. They're jury juror number eight. They're juror number one. They're juror number twelve. And you just have to learn to know them through the writing that happens and through uh the direction i mean there's so many there's a reason why there's a reason why this was originally a play because it all feels very play like there's very long long takes in this film where it is just extremely theatrical henry fonda is the star uh juror number eight he is the lone holdout the basic premise of it is that they are trying like an 18 year old boy who uh, apparent who allegedly killed his father and they have all this evidence piled up against him and they are trying to the jurors all convene they're trying to say it's an open shut case and there's this one guy Henry Fonda who's the lone holdout is just like well let's talk about this let's dissect through every piece of evidence and try and go through that way and try to sway people on their side to either, dismiss the case or to declare it a hung jury um but it's kind of how you do script writing without it ever being exposition exposition heavy i mean the entire movie is technically expository but it never becomes clunky it is always investigative um it's kind of it's clear that he that sydney lament went on to make like things like network have you seen network I have seen it. It was way like Dude, years, years ago. I don't really remember amazing. it. Um, I need to see that. I, I still need to see Dog Day Afternoon. After I've been on a Pacino run watching these Godfather yeah. movies, but yeah, I, uh, I mean, Sidney Lumet is just a god. So it's not really surprising that this movie is such a masterpiece. But yeah, it's highly all, it's recommend all, it. It's on Amazon Prime right is. now. Yeah, it's all in one room, right? Yeah, it's it is ninety. 96 minutes long and 94 of it takes place in the same room Amazing. the only thing is in like the establishing shot and at the very end yeah when they <laughs> enter into the room and it makes the room feel so large and you know that it is just a tiny room that they're cramped up in together well that's 12 angry men here's a cue 1957 get some ladies in there <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe six and six Six men, six women. Yeah. Maybe some uh, some people of color. Come on. And that's guys. why our Loser of the Week award goes to the year 1957. <laughs> Yet again. Hey, it actually, 12 Angry Men, it did make sense that they also played it because uh, there's like certain elements of prejudice and stuff like that where this yeah. guy, they're like, he was born in the slums. He was born to fail and stuff like that. Like there's one juror in particular. I don't remember which number he is. Tough look for my guy and 
people do turn on him because they realize mm. like, oh, you're just a shithead just bringing in your prejudice right. to this. And you were going to say, yes, all no poor matter. people kill their father. Exactly. <laughs> like kind of stuff like that. Like, well, he's not educated and they're just born in filth. They learned a knife fight when they're five years old. Like oh. shit like that. Well, good well, thing, that's, good that's, thing uh, people still think like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah good thing we've come so far from that. Yeah. That's uh, that's what makes a good script, though, when you are able to kind of weave things like that into a character yeah. in a way that doesn't feel like uh, that's what that character is. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, we're you guys might have already listened to our Defy Bloods review, but that kind of ties into that. Yeah. with Some of the characters in that story, which um, is the next thing that we have to record. So we'll just wrap it up right now <laughs> and say thank you for listening. And please check us out on Twitter at We Bought a Mic. Uh, donate if you want at anchor.fm slash We Bought a Mic. Send us a voicemail. Send us an email. Thanks again to Brian. And next week, um, maybe King of Staten Island. Perhaps uh, Drew says he's going to see it tonight. I'll let you tomorrow. know. Tonight, I'll let you know. And uh, and we'll see if it's... I'm hearing some mixed things from some folks I'm, I'm going to see it anyways, but I... You do got to spend 20 smackers. I that mean, is we're, a lot. We're lucky, we're lucky with the Five Bloods that it's just on Netflix, but is there anything else, like, kind of coming out right now? I, I don't think there's anything... I mean, ten, Tenet's, like, supposedly a month away. It got delayed yeah. a week two but weeks two weeks but yeah. hey we'll but inception. we we'll we'll think of some nice segments for you all we'll try to get a couple guests in here and there um but in the meantime stick around stay healthy stay safe thanks for listening bye bye bye